This is On Your Radar, a podcast series with the physicians and staff from Rosecrans. Hi again, I'm John Williams. We record these podcasts at the WGN Radio Studios in Chicago, and this podcast is titled When the Stress of Everything Becomes Too Much. In fact, we've done a series along these lines about stressors, about the trauma that people experience or have been experiencing, especially lately, and now we're going to talk about what happens when these stresses become compounded. And what can we do? Dr. Adrian Adams is a medical director of the Rosecrans-Griffin-Williamson campus, and Amber Cotter is a therapist at Aspen Counseling, which is a division of Rosecrans. Ladies, welcome. Nice to see you. Thank, Thank you. you for having us. It's, been, it's great being back. Yeah, you and I have visited before, and uh, I guess under similar circumstances. It's too bad that we have to talk about these sorts of things, but that's what you all do. So let's talk a little bit about this. Uh, first of all, do you agree with the premise for this particular episode that not only do we have an elevated baseline, say, with the pandemic, but it does seem like there are more stressors in people's lives these days, that they do seem to be compounding? Doctor, you go first. Has that been your experience? Yeah, I mean, and as you know before, I mean, there was already a high amount of mental health illness to begin with, especially for children and adolescents, and that, you know, they were stating one in five children have mental health disorders or problems since the pandemic it's gosh it's increased in so many different ways i mean they've recently did a study with high school students that actually two-thirds of the high school population are having some sadness or problems so definitely i would say the pandemic has um increased i would say the mental health burden but also it's kind of showed us i guess some of our weaknesses and i think ways for our systems to realize we have to make changes in order to accommodate our patients and hopefully get more kids to have some help and i'll talk about what those ways are in a minute but amber would you concur with the doctor that it does seem to be uh, more evident right now i would definitely say so i would say with the in- increase of resource scarcity that we have right now, the availability of resources, the timeline in which people can receive these resources definitely plays into it. And to talk about what Dr. Adams said, you know, definitely some of our more diverse populations are definitely suffering with the pandemic, especially as more traumas keep occurring or reoccurring, and there's no solution, there's no absolution that can really help take the gravity and the intensity off. Why do you cite uh, diverse populations? Such as LGBTQIA+, um, African-American populations, indigenous populations, people that typically have less access to resources to begin with, or the resources are not easily available to them. But are you saying that they specifically are feeling it more acutely, or they just lack the resources to help them? Both. Mm Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of specialties, I would say, in certain programs um, for graduate school and beyond that speaks to the concerns that these populations have. I would also say that just general resources of transportation, job availability, insurance, these are all barriers that some of our clients were already facing in the pandemic And then the pandemic compounded this. You know, you have people who are isolating, have no availability to visit with family, which is a big cultural component for a lot of our clients, or not be able to reach out to family and support um, or support outside of their family units, which makes them feel more isolated and alone. 
So do you see a spike maybe in the general population, but even more so then in these diverse communities oh, we're definitely. talking about? I mean, yeah, definitely say within the general population. And also, as Amber stated, with the people of color, in addition, Asian Americans, there's been a big increase uh, in mental health issues for Asian Americans, especially associated with some of the uh, racism that are associated with the COVID title even. So, uh that's been a big spike, and definitely, as Amber mentioned, with the LGBTQIA plus community, our teens, a lot of times, they felt a lot of support, our kids, in the school system, and I would say with the beginning of the pandemic, when everything was shut down, they really lost that connectiveness that I think all our, we realize in hindsight, that all our teenagers really, that's vital for their development, and so yeah. we're even now seeing the after effects of having the lockdown. We did, well, the president did, some people did for a while, call it the China virus, and that did seem to um, dissipate either with Donald Trump's um, losing the previous election or it just seems to have fallen out of uh, whatever favor that it did enjoy. It certainly Mm -hmm. seemed to be derisive. I guess it makes sense, though, that any community that is marginalized uh, in a time of crisis is going to feel more marginalized still. If we've isolated to our homes, if we're working away from mm-hmm. the workplace, then maybe we do feel more isolated, right? Oh, definitely. And for some of our populations, going outside and doing community events is one of their biggest coping skills, right? Group therapy, if we're talking from a clinical aspect, you know, group therapy, alumni events that Rosecrans or other providers have, it helps them feel like they're not alone in their battle, right? And when COVID shot everything down in first week, I believe it was told for six weeks and then Mm -hmm. it got pushed to like four months. Now you have all these individuals at home not able to access some of their supports. And some of their environments are not generally healthy, not pushing that or saying anything against their environments, maybe not supportive in the way they need, right? So for some of my clients, going on hikes or getting into sports or um, going on their bowling league and things like that, that was something that they established before COVID and everything got shut down. So then what do you do with yourself, right? And now most people have an array of coping skills, Mm -hmm. but then you're pushing all of those stressors and all of that energy that you need to dissipate amongst multiple coping skills. And you have to do it ones that are driving isolation, driving really um, feeling alone. Do you find that people are surfacing who would not have surfaced pre-COVID? Say a young person who's dealing with their sexual identity. Yeah. Uh, Mm -hmm. Maybe they were handling that or handling it privately, Mm -hmm. maybe not handling at all. But suddenly these people are coming forward now? Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I I definitely agree with Amber. Um, I think typically what... uh, our kids that were dealing with those, uh, I would say, gender issues that typically, at least when they were in the school system, they were with peers that had similar issues, or at least they had moments of support. They have found that with the pandemic that a lot of the kids, or because we were once again um, quarantined at home, that they no longer had that support system or that ready-made support system, even with school counselors. And unfortunately, there are some family members that were not gender affirming. So I think That's one of the thoughts that we have for why their mental health issues kind of have increased. But I will say, you know, once again, I look for the silver lining on everything. So I think with the pandemic, we really started working out ways on how to still engage with people. So I know even within the school systems, they would sometimes have like just 
get to know you things on Zoom. I know with a lot of our, even with our patients, it was helpful. And I know Amber was telling me this really neat story of when you're doing treatment that a lot of times, you know, the kids or the patients will kind of bring you into their lives. They're able to kind of see their rooms and it kind of gives you that connectiveness that is, I think, important not only for therapy, but just for, you know, being a human. We all need our social connectedness. You mean, um, literally, they would show you around the room oh, with yes. the camera? Yeah. So, like, um, when we were doing telehealth, primarily, I would say in the first year or half of COVID, um, I would have clients you know, have their cat walk across their screen and they'll apologize. And I was like, no, 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 that's adorable. And I'd be like, no joke, here's my cat, Toffee, right? And it would help them alleviate some of that rapport building stage that sometimes we get caught up with because we're prim and proper and we're sitting in a professional setting with our offices neat and tidy. And here they are, they can see, you know, my downstairs office that I use. They can see my cat. They can see some of the artwork that I've done with my family. And then they start sharing some of that as well. I had Mm -hmm. a client so joyous to share how they redesigned their room. And we're talking about somebody who for years struggled with just basic hygiene, just basic cleaning your bed. So you have somewhere clean to sit, somewhere clean to lay without crumbs or anything else. And they were so happy. They're like, being at home drove me because here I am spending all this time. I wanted to make somewhere I want to live in and be in and feel comfortable in that is very affirming for me. Hmm. And seeing that transformation through multiple sessions was so heartwarming. And they did it on their own accord, and they are so happy with it. Now you we're talking about people who had to retreat during the pandemic, yes. but the phase where we are now, mm-hmm. and we're sitting here in November of 2022, is that we're reemerging, mm-hmm. which I think is its own kind of now awkward situation, isn't it? Yes. Um, It's either a hybrid workplace, a hybrid school Mm -hmm. place. It might be that you're coming back, but you're not comfortable. Just talk to me a little bit about what people are encountering when they return to work or return to school. Well, I I think that's really a great question. I mean, I think a lot of people were hoping like once we were done with the pandemic it's over and we'll go back to the way things were but i think a lot of us are realizing that this is kind of the new normal and you know as i said i think there were some positive things that came out of COVID as far as realizing that you know we can be a bit more flexible we don't have to be sitting in an office 40 50 hours a day but we can kind of have more flexibility with our scheduling, which in a way helps improve everyone's uh, mental health. I think if you're able to kind of spend, do some work from home in a comfortable setting and also sometime in the office where you're having connectedness with your peers, same thing with schools. I think for a lot of our kids, they're able to do a lot of things back in school, but then there's still some things that they might do offline and it's kind of more uh, comforting so i think the hybrid system is probably kind of here to stay in various formats but i don't think it's all bad and i'm happy though that we are doing or re-emerging as you call it because i think it's important once again to have that social connectedness but i your colleagues and other individuals i've talked to tell me that if we were talking about young people say students have lost demonstrably mm-hmm. maturity social skills, social Mm -hmm. graces, Mm -hmm. would you concur? I would. Mm -hmm. would, The way I understand it is that comfortableness is a demotivator, right? If we're sitting on the couch, if we're sitting in the mess that is our mess, whether we've created or it was created for us or a combination of both, we don't want it to change. We're used to it. We know the boundaries. We know how long we can go without taking a shower. We know how long 
um, we can go without communicating to our friends or how much engagement we need to have in a conversation in order for our red flags not to pop up in our family or friends or other supports, right? And as we've shifted from pre-COVID to COVID to after COVID, I would say, and I'm hoping we're staying in that after COVID mark here. Um, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Um <laughs> You know, we're seeing a lot of people's comfortableness change, sometimes without their consent. You know, you have a lot of young adults who are saying, like, I would rather do online school. It works for me academically. It works for what I need for my time rates. And it also has pushed a lot of families to say, like, we're used to these kids maybe working to help out with the family or um, Mm -hmm. taking on different roles within the family. And it's really challenged as we've asked these kids, go back to school, go back to being a kid, and they're not ready for that, or they don't want it, right? And so just really working at where the client's coming from, what changes do they see that need to occur, and really figuring out what's demotivating. And maybe not everybody's experience at school is all positive. So Mm -hmm. if there was a click of bullies or if you felt awkward because of your identity or whatever the issue is, Mm -hmm. every kid at that age and stage has a little bit of trauma they wear on their sleeve. And now I've got to reemerge into that Mm -hmm. place where all of this sort of uh, connects and it can be, under the best circumstances, uh, a hard time for kids. I'm thinking mm-hmm. about high school, junior high school, uh, mm-hmm. college, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe, maybe going back to school is is not an oasis for them. It's mm-hmm. a new trauma point for them, especially since it is a little more awkward right now. Do I wear a mask? Am I uncomfortable with the kids who don't? Uh, nobody's wearing a mask in November of 2022, but but that doesn't mean that we still don't have the vestiges of a pandemic and people mm-hmm. aren't. Um, worried about that. I, I guess all of that to say um, maybe we should be mindful of the fact that normalizing our lives doesn't feel so normal to kids mm-hmm. and to adults. Mm-hmm. And it really doesn't yeah. instigate change at all, right? It doesn't instigate change. If you're comfortable, if you're fine with your normal, what investment do you have to change? Sure, sure. Right? So, so you're arguing to, despite that, go back to school. Go back to the workplace. Oh, yeah. We definitely need everyone to return back to school. But I think thinking of it more so as an adjustment versus going right back to how things Mm -hmm. were. Because I I feel like we're not in that place of going back to how things used to be, but more so realizing where we are now and how we're going to adapt and go on. So I think with a lot of the schools, I mean, kids have gone back. And you're right. I mean, for some kids, it was more of a, you know, like, oh, I'm, I'm away from the bullies. But then... By going back to school and you're learning to work with, I guess, difficult personalities, right? And that's part of growth. Um, I think once again, the positive about COVID is that I think a lot of the teachers and counselors and everyone, they kind of realize there's, uh, I think they really were more introspective in realizing things that we can do better. So even with kids that are having problems, they're able to kind of think about what can we do differently, And what other tools can we use? I would also say it's also given us some other opportunities Mm -hmm. as well. I worked with a young adult who had not finished high school for medical reasons, right? He was enrolled, but he could not physically attend before COVID because of being immune compromised. So a lot of the homework that he would be sent, it was very much at home. He didn't Mm -hmm. have any interaction because he couldn't have interaction. And when 
COVID happened and everybody was online, that person thrived because they were able to interact with their peers and actually attend classes via Zoom and actually attend graduation via Zoom and get this opportunity that they would not have had. And I think some of those opportunities and resources that we're still using in different ways now have opened so many different ways of kind of one addressing this resource scarcity that we have Mm -hmm. but also giving more people of differing abilities whether Mm -hmm. it's developmental physical mental social a way to thrive and a way to feel like they're they're wanted and they're needed and we want them here i wanted to talk a little bit also about the compounding effect which leads to more than just discomfort but trauma mm-hmm. um, what is the evidence of that how do we see what do we look for to go wow this is um, um this is advanced to a more acute stage for an individual what are some right. of the red flags well i know before i know we were talking about you know as far as various things that have happened and i i think with you know having the pandemic one thing that has come into focus has been what we call aces right which is typically um more so things Oh, my gosh. Adverse childhood environmental situational events. Right. And so that's something that was happening all along. But they realized by having the pandemic and having, you know, definitely some families that were impacted more than others. Right. So for some families, they had to worry about scarcity of money. Right. Or being evicted. They had to worry about losing their jobs because definitely for a while there, there were a lot of restaurants and things that were closed. So for a lot of kids, they kind of had what we would call the aces. Right. As far as happening to them, where maybe they uh, their parents were feeling more depressed themselves or having more mental health challenges. So then they're less available for their kids. There might be less financial uh, income within the household. So there's more concern about finances, such as, you know, food, lighting, heat, those kind of things, right? And and also just that emotional connectedness, because as we know, with anyone with depression, most times they are more isolated. There's higher counts of irritability, and they're just kind of like not themselves. So I would say that is something that we have noticed. And as we're still learning a lot about COVID, but one of the things that we have noticed about COVID was that it was a different type of trauma that, you know, as a society, we're not used to. I mean, I think the last big uh, pandemic was the Spanish flu. So, and none of us were born back then. (laughs) But um, so, yeah, this has been a a learning experience for all of us. And so I think we're going to continue to study and see all the ramifications of it. But that's something that's been more immediate that we realized that a lot of our kids and adults, our young adults, as well as older adults have suffered a type of trauma by having the pandemic. And Amber, you made me think when you described a child who had a a physical reason to not be able to interact. Yes. I'm thinking about a list of stressors that can become traumatic in this environment we're in now. Um, It wasn't a physical injury, but physical injury, um, emotional stress, abuse, uh, bullying, divorce, kids that live in poverty, adults Mm -hmm. that live in poverty, people that suffer from addiction or mental illness. Mm -hmm. Uh, Take any one of those or any combination of those, and now – the pot's boiling even faster, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Definitely. And if you have already a pre-existing scarcity of resources, and then you on top of that have a pandemic and other events that are currently going on, you know, mass shootings, mm-hmm. racism, um, blatant homophobia, 
right? Mm-hmm. And you throw that in the mix as well. Now you have people who are doing one of the biggest red flags of trauma, and that's avoidance behaviors. We as a human race, I would say we avoid things that hurt us. It makes sense, Mm -hmm. right? But with trauma, you avoid things that help um, spark the idea of trauma, the emotional connectivity of trauma, the physical reminders of trauma. And if that's a school, if that's a workplace, if that is now certain community centers, the libraries I've heard Mm -hmm. now and restaurants because of how people are responding to community events that are being held on, um, you're That's, saying people are retreating to those places? No, I'm saying people are staying away from. So I know there was a place, I believe, in Lake in the Hills, Illinois, um, where they were having a uh, reading time with somebody who was dressed in drag, right? And it oh, was sure. something that was pre-existing for a while now, and then there was this negative response, and they had somebody put slurs up on the walls and you know destroy some of the property, and it got shut down for a while. And now you have people who are afraid to turn to that community resource because they don't know how they're going to be responded to if they're seen there, right? Something that used to bring them mm-hmm. connectivity and a sense of belonging. And so then we start further retreating and further avoiding things. And then we're losing that sense of where are we coming from? Who do we belong to? What do we belong to? So if the next part of this conversation is what are coping mechanisms or what are what's the thing that we should do, either cope with it or seek professional help or some combination thereof. Mm -hmm. But just give me a a few more examples of things that I would see in myself or somebody else to alert me to the need for these resources. And if it's retreating, Mm -hmm. maybe it's a little harder to notice, although Mm -hmm. I guess you you could recognize the Mm -hmm. absence of somebody's Mm -hmm. participation. But maybe there are other red flags. I don't know what those would be. And, you know, and I guess I, and once again, because I, I hate thinking of uh, doom and gloom all the time. I mean, most kids are going to be okay. Most people are, you know, we're a resilient group. And so I would say that for a lot, majority of us, we're able to kind of use this pandemic as a way to kind of reunite, kind of, you know, be, there's a lot more human kindness among each other. So I guess I want to make sure that we realize that, yeah, most people are fine. But for the ones that have had more challenges with it, I think things to think about to kind of say, you know, maybe there could be something more. I would say it's the what we call emotional fatigue, right, or the mental exhaustion. And I think of it as, say, when you run a race and so physically you're just exhausted, all you can do is just lay out and, you know, your muscles are tight, everything hurts. So kind of the same thing I would say with uh, mental exhaustion. You know, it's just you just can't even think. Your your concentration's off. You're easily distracted. You find yourself more irritable. And it's like no matter how much you try to refuel, you just continue to feel exhausted as far as not being able to get anything done. And that definitely can affect you both at work as far as, you know, you could go behind, you know, get behind on your projects at school, not turning in school assignments, even in relationships, you find yourself being more isolative, less engaged with others. So, and, you know, once again, everyone has a bad day here or there, but if you're noticing this happening for weeks at a time, I would say that would be definitely kind of a red flag. I would definitely agree with that. And I would maybe add, you know, feeling inappropriate guilt and shame, feeling that maybe you deserve this or that you deserve pain in general or you don't see a way out or you're feeling helpless and hopeless mm-hmm. and you are you don't have that control in your life anymore. Mm-hmm. You feel like you don't, right? And it can 
start trickling down to like i can't figure out what to wear today so i'm just mm-hmm. not getting out of bed yeah i don't know what to say in a conversation so i'm just going to be silent yeah and, and why try why try anymore <laughs> right it's just i, I just Ex- give up exactly and it just continues to compound and compound and i love that there is certain clients out there that i've been receiving referrals from who are starting to catch that and starting to listen to these podcasts and other self-help mm-hmm. um talks and realizing like that is not a road I want to go on. And mm-hmm. I would say the pandemic has really started to bring those people out and trying new resources like listening to podcasts and mm-hmm. watching certain talks on the show um, that helps them really realize like, wow, that maybe is a warning sign, right? If I'm thinking I deserve this guilt and I deserve mm-hmm. the shame and I'm more irritable and I have less patience and I just don't want to be here anymore and saying, okay let me do something about that yeah and i think being more introspective too mm-hmm. you know you're able to kind of realize like you know i'm really not happy with what i'm currently doing and maybe thinking about you know maybe it's time for a change i feel like i've seen a lot of people since that since the pandemic kind of change their career or change a lot of things in their life decided they're going to start running or doing 5Ks, where in the past Mm -hmm. they were sitting on the sofa. So I think it's also a time to kind of spark a new interest or allow yourself to be that person that you always wanted to be. Yeah, Dr. Adams, would you say that some of those people, I think you just answered that question, uh, may have been living their lives that way Mm -hmm. pre-pandemic. They were in a stasis and they were existing but not flourishing. Mm -hmm. And this has maybe been an impetus for them to try and improve their lot or, or be more proactive about right how instead of being feel. a bystander anymore they're trying to really take control mm-hmm. and figure out what are what sh- what were their priorities and what should their priorities be and that could be a drastic difference i've heard some clients say like i used to work 60 70 hours a week hardly ever see my family you know i would maybe spend one day a week doing my passion and now they've turned it around and now they're working from home 20 30 hours a week they found careers that work Mm -hmm. for that and they're able to explore their interests i have a client right now who is trying to visit every state park in the united states which i think is imaginable Mm -hmm. and so so beautiful right or i have a client right now who has some physical um concerns right now mm-hmm. and so they're making shadow boxes for people just like out of scenes of movies and just taking that time and crafting and doing this act of service that mm. is part of their love language but being able to give it to somebody else instead of just sitting there and saying well everything that i can't do anymore well yeah. this is something that they can do yeah. right and even gardening because i've oh, had gosh. a couple of patients now that you know with the beginning of the pandemic since you know at times things weren't available at the grocery store but they realized that they you know can garden so they actually started growing some of the uh, vegetables you know things that i mean we have a bad not bad we have a challenging climate here in illinois but with that being said they were able to actually you know plant uh, more thyme and some of the um Herbs. spices yeah. and herbs and and things like that and, and they enjoyed it and so now you know even though the pandemic is at a different place right now they're able to still do gardening with other gardening groups other gardening enthusiasts so and i would say that actually speaks to building rapport with some mm-hmm. of our clients as well because 
Most of that is within their economic availability. Mm -hmm. And it's something when you say like, hey, what did you do during the pandemic? I can say to my client, well, you know what? I also build a garden box. Mm -hmm. I'm growing tomatoes and hot peppers and we tried corn. That does not work in my backyard. We learned the hard way. Um, And trying different things. And they can see like, wow, if Miss Amber can do this, Mm -hmm. I can try. How do we start this? Right. Or, you know, getting into different interests and being able to share that with them Mm -hmm. and seeing like you know what yeah maybe today was a tough day couldn't go out you know especially when we have six degree weather in chicago well what can we do in the inside we can build something we can create something Mm -hmm. we can be constructive Mm -hmm. but do you imagine that people will come to that conclusion themselves we're talking about people who maybe lack resolve right now that's why they're feeling this way so how do we get them off the dime or how does an individual suddenly come to the place where they're going to help themselves well, more you know and i think that's one of the great things about our podcast i think and as amber mentioned earlier a lot of people are trying new things so i'm hoping that you know part of you know the result of the podcast and that they'll be like oh i hadn't really thought about that or hey that kind of describes me a little bit and then they'll actually want to like get more information and you know so that's one way i think definitely with the kids being back in school that's definitely another big way because a lot of times teachers who are working with the kids you know eight hours a day social workers they're able to kind of notice if there's a concerning issue and you know bring it up and of course i think our parents you know um, i think as another positive thing about the pandemic with i guess being forced to work from home is that a lot of parents were able to spend more time with their kids and they were able to really kind of see what some of the kids are up to and you know i think for most it was a really wonderful experience but i think for some parents they realized like hey my child's really struggling right now and so i need to get them some help and i would say being that our providers and some other providers in our communities still offer telehealth it does help address Mm -hmm. this resource scarcity right we can get a referral from a school from a hospital what have you and we can work Mm -hmm. within their time frame of like how can we get them help Mm -hmm. in the environment that they are in see what's going on and really build a treatment plan that will really work on so many different levels such as the environment their support system their coping skills their emotional availability and awareness in those people around them as well as themselves I wonder if you force yourself to be more communicative, if in fact that will work. It'll be therapeutic for you, even if you don't feel it, even if it's like a a muscle you have to exercise to talk a little bit more and express a little bit more. If in fact that does have a positive value to a person, you Mm -hmm. know? I mean, maybe I don't feel chatty because I am despondent because of all of these circumstances. I, I wonder if forcing myself, though, to the, the same way maybe running when you don't want to run you know is going to be beneficial yes. exercising you know is going to be beneficial maybe being more communicative even if it's forced is a step in the right direction and definitely reaching out to the supports now available mm-hmm. whether uh, virtual or in person I mean, I mean I have a client right now who is attending NA groups online in New York because it best fits their schedule and before pandemic that wouldn't have been the thing and it would have just been another barrier to their treatment and they've been sober for seven months which is mind-blowing that's awesome sober for seven months during the most challenging time to be sober Mm -hmm. in their lives right Mm -hmm. or there's now um, caregiver support groups that can be virtual online so my clients who are taking care of the elderly taking care of somebody within their home or their support system that does not have I would say some other abilities and feeling that support like they're not alone in this. 
now they have that, right? Mm-hmm. Or um, some of my clients who struggle with self-harming, whether it's verbally to themselves and being abrasive or physically to themselves, now there's groups that they can attend, right? Some of the pandemic, I would say, has definitely developed these groups that are flourishing mm-hmm. and really helping. I've yeah. heard of people that harm themselves, cutting and so forth. What's a verbal version of that? Um, self-deprecating mm-hmm. comments to yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, You're worthless. You know, I'm no good. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't deserve this. Do people express that out loud or they just think and feel that? Oh, I've had, I've had both. Yeah, both. Really? Yes. Mm-hmm. And figure, we know us the best. We know our weak points. Goodness gracious, I can tell you how weak my knees are in the wintertime. And if we're having this self-deprecating thoughts, I would just like, oh, of course your knees are weak. What's wrong with you? You're so, you know, weak there. You're not strong. And I just keep picking at it and picking at it and just bring your self-esteem and self-worth so much lower that it really just becomes mm-hmm. part of who you are, right? And you could mm-hmm. see that spiral into overeating or drinking or mm-hmm. doing anything that if, if you feel you have no worth, if you feel you're not a valuable commodity or person, mm-hmm. then you don't begin to treat yourself with any dignity or respect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think typically we do see a lot of what we call self-medicating. We mm-hmm. call it but a lot of times. And that's definitely something that I wanted to bring up. I mean, for our adolescents, that, that is something that is a concern as far as, you know, increased substance use, sometimes with alcohol or marijuana, cigarettes. I would say with the school, being back in school, maybe something to kind of think about because a lot of times, I guess with vaping, it had oh, gone goodness. down, but now school's back. So it's kind of going back up because that is typically a place where kids will vape because they're able to get a vape from a friend at school. You see a lot of that? Sadly, yes. Mm-hmm. A lot. And Does that bother you as much as uh, alcohol or cigarettes or marijuana, vaping? I would say that, weirdly, it's a coping skill. They get something out of it, but it's not helping them, right? Whether they get the reprieve of what we used to know in the 90s as a smoke break, right? You get to step away for five, ten minutes, take a deep breath, recollect yourself and come back. Now they're doing it by vaping. Now they're doing it by smoking weed or drinking and it is not helping them outside of that instant gratification of I have a brief solution that can help me disconnect, right? And in fact, it can further compound some of their financial, social, mm-hmm. emotional support issues. Mm-hmm. If people are saying like, that's not the good choice to make, mm-hmm. I don't agree with you, you're spending all your money on this, mm-hmm. and it can just really further compound. So I'd say yeah. part of therapies too is not adjusting or not just developing coping skills in general, but also identifying what unhealthy coping skills are you turning to? How and why are they providing relief? And what can we turn to instead? Mm-hmm. And sometimes it takes a while to realize that it isn't helping you. So I, I mm-hmm. think that's where families kind of come in. Because a lot of times people outside can kind of say like, hey, this is really not helpful. It's not good for you. Whereas if you're living in the moment, it's harder to realize like, oh, but no, I'm feeling so much better when I do. So how part. do I approach somebody about that? What do I? What's my strategy when I'm going to try and intervene a little? Yeah. Bit? Well, I think definitely, and Amber, you jump in too. <laughs> but I think definitely the biggest thing is not to come off as a authoritarian, like you know, oh, demanding gosh, no. or shouting, because it's just going to lead to a power struggle. But I think as a parent, just kind of you know, mention like, hey, I'm noticing some changes, and just having trying to have that open, honest conversation, and that you know, I love you, and I'm really worried because I feel like you're hurting yourself, and I want to help. 
I think it's one way to kind of start it off and just kind of, yes, starting a conversation and then saying, you know, I think we're going to get a referral and maybe talk to our pediatrician who can then refer us elsewhere. Or, you know, definitely there are different places that you can call right away just to kind of get a consultation. And as I always say, I'd rather have the consultation and we say, oh, you know, you're okay or you're fine versus assuming things are okay and not getting that consultation and then things kind of worsen. And I would also say developing a support system that really encourages healthy coping skills. Mm -hmm. You know, this is where, you know, turning to your park districts, for some of them have a free-to-play program like Mm -hmm. Rockford does and Mm -hmm. Chicago does where Mm -hmm. you can show like, hey, I don't make enough, and they'll let your kids play the sports for Mm -hmm. free, Mm -hmm. right? They'll let them participate in the programs for free and really getting them involved in different aspects. But again, there's that transportation issue sometimes our clients run into. Yeah, But then also finding... What can I do to help be part of my kids and mm-hmm. lives and different aspects like that? Because like she said, if we come from an authoritative position, and I know this as a parent of two kids, mm-hmm. all you're going to get is that power struggle, that yelling, arguing, you don't know me, you don't know what I like. Mm-hmm. It's not going to really give you that solution you're looking for, right? right? If your solution is like helping them see different coping skills, mm-hmm. helping them see like maybe this isn't healthy. This is maybe introducing them to other coping mm-hmm. skills as a family time, you know, board game nights. I mean, at my house, we have pizza night every mm-hmm. Friday for the last seven years. We even make our own pizza. Oh, wow. Right. Which gets a little messy with yeah. the three year old. Um, but it's something that they enjoy doing. And it's just part of our repertoire now. Mm-hmm. You know, doing things like that yeah. where and they family family walks. Yes. I mean, that's something we actually purchased a little puppy. You know, well now he, now oh, he goodness. yeah now he's sixteen <laughs> months old. But I mean, I think one of the things you know maybe like as a family, you know, doing the family walks, taking turns caring for your your pet. Uh, and, you know, and just going to the park, I will say I saw a lot of families actually going to the neighborhood parks at times, you know, during COVID and even post-COVID, because I think for some it's become part of their family routine. And also finding things in the area that are perhaps free or mm-hmm. very low pay. I know like Home Depot has um, the first Saturday of the month mm-hmm. you can get their take and make kits and you can make these cool kits mm-hmm. with kids mm-hmm. like bookends and cookie trays. Mm-hmm. Um, the Museum of Contemporary Art in Chicago mm-hmm. has it where you can pay how much you can afford. Right. And mm-hmm. or um, farmers markets. I saw yes. a lot of farmers markets. I think a lot of the Western and you know surrounding suburbs, as well as parts of Chicago, they have the farmers markets where you can kind of go and buy some vegetables at a much cheaper price that are locally grown, which once again, we're kind of supporting our local farmers, which I, I mm-hmm. think is really important. And, and definitely, as you were mentioning, the crafts. I mean, there I think a lot of parents really took that initiative to do more crafts with their kids. And there are a lot of uh DIY kind of kits yes. where you can kind of like pretty much make everything. Birdhouses. Mm-hmm. We made a trebuchet the other night. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you, my floor was covered in marshmallows for a while, <laughs> but they had so much mm-hmm. fun doing it. They didn't realize they were doing science. They didn't realize mm-hmm. we were doing family bonding. Mm-hmm. They just said, oh, mom and dad said we can throw marshmallows? Mm-hmm. What? Yeah. You know, though, listening to the two of you talk about all these good ideas and it's uh, a spontaneous, nice litany of um, coping skills, mechanisms, ideas. Um, one thing that I'm also hearing you say, though, is it's not just enough to have a talk, that you've got to get involved, either mm-hmm, as a definitely. loved one or a parent or a friend mm-hmm. or a teacher, that it's it's going to be work if somebody is really feeling traumatized by their individual circumstance and then the pandemic and how weird life is right now. Um, 
it's going to take physical effort. It's either exercising or it's walking or it's crafting or it's going to the grocery store to buy the fixings for the pizza because that's what we're doing now. <laughs> but, I mean, it, it's, 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 it's not easy no, necessarily. Uh-uh. And it can – the amount of work that would be ahead of somebody, mm-hmm. especially if they have a limited support system, they could be like, wow, doing all those things, making time, mm-hmm. getting dressed, going to those places – that's a lot. And by the way, I hate jogging, and I don't want to walk either. <laughs> exactly, right? Mm-hmm. Then it's like, okay, let's play Wii Sports. Mm-hmm. You know, some libraries let you borrow, rent the equipment, yeah. rent mm-hmm. the equipment and rent mm-hmm. video games now for free, right? Let's have a video game night. Very low to free cost. Yeah. Um, may, may I intervene? Yes. Um, the uh, kids' phones and people's phones. Yes. Mm-hmm. How much are those helping? How much are those hurting in, in our discussion here? Yeah, I mean, I always recommend having a, not say limited, but a maximum amount of time, right? So I know with the American Academy of Pediatrics, I believe they say like one hour. Really? A day? I think, yeah. Or every other hour? <laughs> yeah, I know. But I think really, you know, on one hand, I think technology is helpful Mm because i think kids can definitely look things up and you know and they've been able to communicate with people that normally they might not be able to right they've been able to see different podcasts maybe like ours or various things that they might not be able to but also it goes back to that social connectiveness so i think it's really important for families especially at dinner time meal time to kind of everyone agree to turn off the phones or when you're doing your family night everyone agree to turn off Mm -hmm. your phones and i do tell this to a lot of my parents that I work with as far as at bedtime that adolescents especially tend to like have their phones with them all night and you know that blue light from the cell phones is really not helpful for sleep so I do recommend to my parents to actually have the kids give them their cell phones because it it could be temptation I mean kids might say like oh I'll turn it off but you know maybe they need that one more phone call from a friend just think how easy it would be to get the kids out of bed in the morning if they didn't have the phone (laughs) if Mm -hmm. it was in the kitchen or oh, yeah. wherever oh, else yeah. you want them to next arrive. And, mm-hmm. you know, definitely keep in mind, why is the technology being used? You know, mm-hmm. Dr. Adams definitely brought up some good points about, you know, connecting, video calling people that we wouldn't be able to, or just mm-hmm. visiting people. Like, I had family that were in nursing homes during the pandemic that we would not have been able to visit mm-hmm. without that. So mm-hmm. did we count that as our electronic time? No, that was family time, mm-hmm. right? Or when we would play, um, you know, video games with our friends in Colorado or our family in California, did we count that as electronic time? No, because it's Mm -hmm. still bonding time Mm -hmm. and we're watching, we're participating, Mm -hmm. it's everybody together. Mm -hmm. But the mindless scrolling with apps that have been coded to keep our attention and it's really not contributing to how Mm -hmm. we are doing in a positive way, yeah, there's there's a limit that I would say we we have, and I know for at least my family, we have about thirty minutes of TV a day with oh, our kids. Wow, you're good. Okay, and, and that has to be <laughs> no, like, you're awful. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's hard because my seven year old will say like, "Well, so and so has a phone, and so and so can go mm-hmm. on this," and I was like. If we're going to watch YouTube, we watch it as a family, mm-hmm. so I know what you're watching. Mm-hmm. We watch typically, you know, size show or slow-mo guys, something scientific, something mm-hmm. that'll catch their eye, mm-hmm. or they wanted to know how rice was made the other day, and I was like, we can look that up, and that's how the internet can be beautiful, mm-hmm. but then there's also a lot of those messages out there, like those ads that pop up, even for kids' videos, and I was like, why is that popping up? Mm-hmm. Right, we were watching some like ABC one two three with my three year old, mm-hmm. and they popped up some political ads about abortion, and I was like, "This does not need to no be kidding. out here." Oh wow! 
uh, before we wrap that up, any mm-hmm. any last things you two want to say in this podcast before we say thank you and move on? Well, you know, I just want to, you know, remind our listeners that, you know, really think about as far as the mental exhaustion and, you know, the fatigue that, you know, it's not just something you get over if it's really impairing your functioning both with work or your family interactions. If you're noticing that you're more irritable, you're not sleeping well, and this is happening for, you know, weeks at a time, it's really okay. And I would, you know, really, I implore you to just kind of find someone to talk to. I mean, definitely, you know, there are a lot of places, resources out there, both, you know, your pediatrician or family, you know, primary care doctor can recommend or even services like Rosecrans that we definitely are here to listen. Mm-hmm. And I would definitely say, you know, really being mindful about what what do you want your end to be, mm-hmm. right? Do you want your end to be where you're, you're hard to get out of bed every morning, you're not looking forward to everything, mm-hmm. or do you want to have it where you're looking forward to waking up and the adventures that you can take? Mm-hmm. And that's such a different mindset to mm-hmm. have. Mm-hmm. And therapy Talking to your doctors, getting a team on board can help you get there. Mm-hmm. And it is okay not to be okay. And I want to stress that. Mm-hmm. And we can all have our bad days, like Dr. Adam said. But you should not be alone in your bad days. And your mm-hmm. bad day should be a bad day. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Mm-hmm. Make that the exception, not mm-hmm. the norm. Exactly. That's right. And no. you're really never alone. I mean, that's yes. the thing. There's always someone to help you. you and just we want to help. And we want. That's why we're here. And that's the voice of Dr. Adrian Adams, Medical Director of the Rosecrans Griffin Williamson Campus. And Amber Cotter has also been here, therapist at Aspen Counseling, which is a division of Rosecrans. Ladies, thank you. Thank you so thank much. Thank you. And hope to come back soon. <laughs> This is On Your Radar, a podcast series produced by WGN Radio and the doctors and clinical staff at Rosecrans. With over 60 locations throughout Chicagoland, Northern and Central Illinois, Wisconsin, and Iowa, help is just a click or call away. Click on Rosecrans.org or call 866-330-8729 for more guidance and information. Rosecrans, life's waiting.